0: Matthew chapter number 6, if you turn in your Bibles, please. Matthew chapter number 6. The the message this morning is a very topical message. Have I got my microphone on and everything? All right. Very topical message. And uh, really, the text that we're going to be looking at here today, basically just contains a couple of words that are relevant to the topical message today. Matthew chapter number 6, and look with me at verse number 24. The Bible says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Now, of course, there's a great message right there in that text as far as our heart and our affection. God makes it clear, and these are the words of Jesus Christ, you can't serve God and mammon. Now, many of the modern versions of the Bible change that word mammon to money. But that word mammon is a really good Bible word because, you know, money is part of mammon. But, you know, there's a lot of things that people can serve that is related to money but is not necessarily money it could be all kinds of different uh, commodities and things and glory and being uh being uh, accepted by this world and so mammon really encompasses everything that this physical world has to offer that would glorify man rather than glorifying god but the message this morning comes from two different words that we find in this verse And that is the word love and the word hate. And I want to speak this morning on our love-hate relationship with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just a a good spirit here today in the service. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for good singing, uh, for worship, Lord. It is a joy and a privilege to be able to worship you in spirit And in truth, thank you for these that have come. Thank you for all that are, uh, tuning in on live stream or perhaps will tune in at a later date. We pray that the message today would be a help, a blessing. God, that it would be used of you in a mighty way to change hearts and to draw us all to a closer relationship with you. And of course, Lord, we pray for anyone listening today that is not saved. Uh, We pray that the Holy Spirit would touch that heart, that soul that is nearest hell, show them their need, and Lord, uh, point them toward the cross of Jesus Christ. Have your will and way in the service today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our text today demonstrates that love and hate are two opposing concepts, I do a lot of woodworking, and over the years, I've learned a lot through trial and error. And it used to be that probably one of my biggest weaknesses uh, was in the finish process. I could make things out of wood, and I don't know how many times that I've made something that when I got done and, and I looked at it, it's like, wow, that just really turned out nice until I applied the finish to it. And then only to find out that I had to, if you've ever applied finish to something, uh, you don't turn around and remove that finish with sandpaper. I mean, it's still gummy, and I don't know how many projects that I've had to redo, and even a few here and there that I've had to redo and redo and redo. Finishing has never been my strong point. But you know, you learn a little by trial and error. And I look back to back in when I was really, really young and I knew very little about painting or finishing. And I remember one time I had an old can of latex paint. I mean, it was really thick. And uh, in, uh, in my dad's garage, there was also a can of paint thinner. And I thought, okay, this paint needs to be thinned out. So I put paint thinner in latex paint, which is a water-based paint, and I found out paint thinner just doesn't work. <laughs> well, of course, paint thinner does work, but you have to use it with the right product. But what happened is these two opposing concepts, when you mixed them together, it just all gummed up into a big gooey mess. And, and, and it was way, way worse than it was when the paint was just thick. As we look at this text, obviously love and hate are two very opposing concepts, but we're going to see today in the scripture how that these two opposing concepts are actual, actually essential ingredients in our relationship with the Lord. Now the words love and hate can mean multiple things to various people. When we think of the concept of love, we know that love can be selfish and it can also, or it ought to be, an unselfish thing. And at the same token, the word hate can mean something that is completely despised with venom, so to speak. But also we find in the Word of God that very often the word hate can simply represent the party that wasn't selected or didn't get first priority. An example would be Genesis 29 and verse number 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So that word hate, and I always use that as a cross-reference because when Jesus talked about discipleship, he said that a man can't follow him unless he first hates his his family and I'm not going to give you the list your your wife your your mother-in-law of course some people read that it's like oh good it's biblical <laughs> yes that's what I've been looking no but but really Jesus says you you have to hate your family and even your own life in order to be his disciple that doesn't mean that you look at your family members and like I hate you biblically speaking it just means that They didn't get picked first, but rather Jesus got picked first. And so he's picked first, and everybody else is, according to the biblical definition of the word, they are classified as being hated. Uh, Obviously, Leah was not despised by Jacob. Uh, She ended up uh, bearing children to him. So you can do the math on that one. Romans 9.13, it says, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And of course, the Calvinists use that to show predestination. And of course, any time that you see election in the Bible, it's always, as the Apostle Peter said, according to the foreknowledge of God. There were things about Jacob that God valued, and you know, if you looked at it from a worldly standpoint, what man values, we would probably gravitate toward Esau, not Jacob. But God values things way differently than we do. And so he loved Jacob, he hated Esau, doesn't mean that he just totally despised Esau, it just meant that Esau came in second place when it came to God's affection, and so yes, we could say according to that passage, God is a hater, and that's what uh, anybody that has any convictions and standards and preaches against sin today—that's what the the Laodicean lukewarm Christians they always call the Bible believing Christian a hater or a Pharisee or judgmental. But God is indeed a hater, and we—he uh, knows what to hate, and he knows how to hate, and we ought to certainly follow his example in that area. So what is a love-hate relationship? A love-hate relationship is an interpersonal relationship involving simultaneous or alternating emotions of love and hate. Something particularly common when emotions are intense. What I just read to you actually came right straight out of Wikipedia. And so the world understands a little bit about a love-hate relationship. You can think what you want about this kind of relationship, and I'm certain that every single one of you that are listening here today, you've had someone in your life that you would have to put in that category as a love-hate relationship, kind of this revolving door. You really love this person at times, and then other times you really hate this person. And, and it just kind of revolves. But regardless of what you think about a love-hate relationship, I'll tell you one thing that is absolutely certain. It's not apathetic. The emotions typically run high. Love, hate. Love, hate. It's nothing like this. It's usually very much like this. It's not apathetic. You know, personalities and backgrounds in a relationship can often cause either the relationship to complement one another or, excuse me, complement one another and at times conflict with one another. And any relationship is going to go through some of those ups and those downs because our personalities, we're all just wired different. We all grow up in different homes and with different values and the way that we perceive this world and the way that we perceive relationships. We somewhat understand the concept of our love relationship with the Lord. I don't think we ever fully can fathom loving the Lord the way that He's worthy. But the hate relationship with the Lord, well, that certainly can be a little sketchy. Now, I want to ask you a question here this morning. If you were honest with yourself, are there some things about the Lord that you'd say that you hate? And I know what some of you are thinking, whoa, 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 this sounds kind of blasphemous. No, let's just be real here this morning. Let's be honest with ourself. And I'm just going to confess some of my things that I struggle with. And I don't know that I've ever come out and consciously in my heart and mind even thought uh, the, the thought that I hate the Lord. And yet wouldn't you agree with me that God looks at our heart and we don't have to consciously say it for it to be so? You know, I hate that He is so patient and silent at times. You know, there's times where it's like, hey, I, I need you and I need you now. And He doesn't, He's not in any hurry. And when I'm begging Him and crying out for Him to make me feel better, and I don't get an answer, and He just doesn't seem to show up, then I just sometimes I have to say, I kind of hate that about Him. I hate that He doesn't get worked up over the things that I get worked up over. Sometimes I hate when He doesn't tell me what I want to hear. And then uh, I used to hate that He forbid things that I loved. Now, that was before I got right with the Lord. And, you know, one thing that happened, at least with me personally, When I got right with the Lord, the things that I loved and the things that I hate just really did a flip-flop. And so, uh, when I got right with the Lord, some of the things that I hated about God, I now loved about God. The issue with all of these things, for all of us, if you would ever just look in the mirror and say, Are there things that I hate about God? I'm going to tell you right now, no fear of contradiction. The problem is always with our heart. See, I know for me personally, I fell in love with things that I shouldn't have ever fallen in love with. In fact, I fell in love with things in this world that I shouldn't even have known about. There's nothing about the Lord that we should hate. He is holy. He is perfect. And when we feel that way toward Him, I got news for you, the problem is always with us. And so I want to talk from a biblical standpoint on this love-hate relationship with the Lord. Number one, we are commanded to love Him. Now listen, I, I don't, I've never even thought that I had the right to, to command somebody to love me. Now, I'm glad that my wife loves me, and she does a lot of uh, neat little things to show me that she loves me. Uh, she'll give me, in fact, every Sunday morning, we have this ritual, and every morning, I, wait, I make the coffee, and then, um, you know, I try to make sure that everything's ready for her when she gets up four or five hours later. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm exaggerating. But I make the coffee. Well, on Sunday mornings, or excuse me, on Saturday night, she does a little bit extra because I get up really early on Sunday mornings and start, uh, finish preparing my message and PowerPoint, getting all of that stuff ready and so forth. So she always does a little special for me and she uh, puts the filter in the coffee pot and then she always on I have a napkin or a paper towel that I fold and I put my sugar spoon there because I put sugar in my coffee I know it's not very manly but it's the way I like it well on Sunday morning when I get up I come out there and she always has a sweet little note on that napkin and so it really it really helps make my day on Sunday morning and Historically, whenever uh, on the very blue moon occasion that we are not getting along on Saturday, I wake up Sunday morning and there's no note. And usually I look on the counter and I go, yeah, figured. I didn't expect it. Well, yesterday, we were just, you know, when I went to bed, we were getting along great. I I woke up this morning, I look on the counter, there's no note. I'm stressing. It's like, (laughs) what did I do? Did I forget something? Did I fail to do something? What did I do to make her mad at me? And then, I opened up my computer, and on the screen of the computer was a little yellow sticky note, I love you. Isn't that precious? Trying to remember what this has to do with the message. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know what? I, I appreciate that my wife loves me. I want my wife to love me. But the thought of ever saying, I command you to love me. Wouldn't you agree that that would be very pompous and arrogant on me to do that? But you know what? It is not. Arrogant or pompous on God's part, because here's the difference between me difference between me and him. He's holy and I'm not. He created us; I did not create anything. And so He is the creator of the universe, and He is without fault, without blemish, and He is the only one that has the right and authority to be able to command His entire creation that you need to love me and you need to bow down and worship me. He's the only one. In Matthew 22, verse number 36, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Brothers and sisters, our God has commanded us to love Him. If you are not loving Him like you ought to be loving Him, you are breaking the first and great commandment that God ever gave. I mean, you talk about there's ten commandments, there's all kinds of precepts and principles in the Word of God. You're not even getting past the first one if you are not giving God your very, very best. If you're giving God a lick and a promise, then you are violating the first and great commandment. I hope I made that point. I hope that somehow, some way, that that point will get past this crusty heart, this apathy that has saturated our Christian culture today. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 19 it says, we love Him because He first loved us. You know, in all of our problems in obeying the first and great commandment, if we are not loving the Lord like we ought to, it all stems from the fact that we have lost sight or we just are oblivious to how much He loves us. Do you know the Bible says greater love Hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends? I mean, what more could God have done? You think about the suffering of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Why did He do it? He did it, number one, to please the Father. Number two, so that we could go to God. That we wouldn't have to suffer the eternal judgment in hell for our sins. Greater love. And when we lose sight of that awe... Just that just complete amazement that God would reach down and save a sinner like you and I. I think we live in a generation of people today that think that we're worthy of God's salvation. You know, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a good person. Oh, you're a good person? Really? Uh, You know, anybody that if, if you think you're a good person, you know what your problem is? You're using the wrong scale to measure yourself by. Anybody can find someone more crooked than you to make you look straight. But you know what? When we put ourselves next to Jesus Christ, uh, every single one of us look, as they say, crookeder than a dog's hind leg. How's that for a good Southern statement? We're messed up. And the biggest problem is that we don't see ourselves as wicked and vile as we are. If we would ever see ourselves the way that we really are, and then really realize that God would love me this much and would go through what Jesus went through to save a wretched sinner like me, I'm telling you what, if that don't make you love the Lord, you got a big, big problem. Your heart is so hard and so calloused that I, I, I don't even know what to tell you. There are consequences when we choose not to love Him. In Exodus 20, verse number 5, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. When we choose anything over God, we are hating Him. And God says, there's going to be some consequences. And you say, well, you know, I seem my life's okay. You know, the hammer isn't dropped. Lightning hasn't struck me yet. Everything seems to be okay. You know what? You may coast through your life and it may not affect you. But I'll tell you what hurts more than... Uh, than personal affliction, and that is watching people that you love suffer knowing that it's because of your sin. Uh, There's really almost not even a wound that is uh, more intense than that kind of a spiritual wound. Yes, there are consequences when we don't love him like we're commanded to. And you know what? It does no good. So many people talk today about purpose. The whole Christian world is talking about the purpose-driven life and the purpose-driven church and the purpose-driven pet, the purpose-driven grocery store, and whatever else sells books. And it's really a simple concept. But, you know, so many people are thinking about, well, my life was meaningless until I found purpose. It does no good to live with a purpose if we don't live with the purpose. The purpose for which we exist to begin with. We were created to love God. We were created to love God. That is our purpose in life. And when we don't love the Lord then we are not fulfilling the purpose for which we were created. And so we are commanded to love Him. Secondly, number two, love is a commitment and action, not a feeling. Now, I hesitated to put this point in there because we say it from the pulpit so many times. But you know what? In this day and age that we live in, you are so inundated by the influence of Hollywood by the influence of social media, by the influence of the higher education system and psychology and self-esteem and all of these things that it is, uh, I mean, we are swimming upstream and it is so difficult to drill this into the hearts and minds of God's people. Love is a commitment and an action. It is not a feeling. Now, love will produce a feeling. But it is not a feeling. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Here's the modern definition of what's going on in heaven uh, when John writes this verse. Here's God looking down on the world, and He's seeing you and me. And it's like, oh... I just love them so much, I want them to be with me for all of eternity. Listen, God looked down upon this world. You remember back in Noah's day? God looked down upon this world, and humanity made God sick. He wanted to destroy him with a flood. And if it wasn't for Noah, I mean, nobody would have made it through. Hey, how about the children of Israel? when they continued to make God sick because of their disobedience, their murmuring and their complaining, if it wasn't for the man of God, Moses, standing up and reminding God of his own personal glory, listen, the, the nation of Israel would have been toast. A famous preacher said, said, man, if God and Moses got in a killing mood on the same day, we'd all be gone. God looks down upon this world and His Word says that this world is evil. It's wicked, the whole thing. God looks down upon this world. And here's why Here's why grace is so amazing. God looks down upon this world and we are disgusting. We are abomination. We are vile in His eyes. The smell of... Humanity comes up into God's nostrils and it's putrefying. And yet God looks down and says, I got to do something to help him. And so what does he do? He makes a decision and a commitment. He performs an action that he does not yet feel any of the, I mean, it wasn't until on the cross of Calvary when Jesus bore our sins, it wasn't until after that that God the Father could say this, that, that He was pleased. The Bible says it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. But Jesus took upon Himself what God feels toward humanity. So that we could be saved and God wouldn't have to judge us because of who we are. It didn't start with a feeling. It was an action and a commitment. We are living in a culture that has been programmed to think according to feelings rather than to feel according to thinkings. And that's so profound, I think I'm going to say it again. We're living in a culture that has been programmed to think according to feelings rather than feel according to thinkings. If you feel it, then it must be true. I don't know how many people that I've tried to help and either lead to Christ or somebody that professes to be saved that's living a worldly lifestyle that is dishonoring to the Lord and you plead with them and you talk to them, you try to show them Scripture. Well, I just I just don't feel... I don't feel wrong. I don't feel convicted about that. And you go, why not? It's right there in the book. Don't you think that as God's children, that the Word of God, if God says something's good, we should be convicted that it's good. If God says something's evil, we should be convicted, convinced that it's evil. If we feel something that's contrary to what the Word of God plainly says, we are in trouble. Our feelings Are being affected by something other than God. I tell you what frustrates me is how many Christians blame God for their conviction or lack thereof. Wisdom thinks first and feels second. Foolishness feels first and thinks second. We've lost our wisdom in today's culture because we have lost the fear of God. Have you ever thought about it? Look around us in this generation. What happened to the fear of God? I mean, it's amazing. I I find that the average, I'll throw an arbitrary figure. This is the way that I perceive it. I'm not saying that my statistic is accurate. The way that I perceive it, I would have to say that 90% of every preacher that's standing behind a pulpit preaching today, that 90% of them don't even have a clue what the fear of God is. Where did it go? If the preacher doesn't fear God, how would we expect that that old people, middle-aged people, or young people, listen, this younger generation... Where is the fear of God in their eyes? It 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 just appears to me like it's gone. Not even, you can't say that we're losing it. I look at it, it's like, it's gone. Where is it? I haven't seen it in a long, long time. Somebody saved or lost, that morally, socially, you'd look at them and say, you know what, they really have a healthy fear of God. Now, when you say that you love someone, we're talking about love as a commitment and an action, not a feeling. When you love someone, you're going to make some decisions and some commitments. You're going to say and do nice things toward the person that you love. If you really love God, you're going to say and do some nice things. Uh, you're going to try to please and you're going to try to serve. Uh, you're going to give. You know, it's, it's a worn out cliche, but it is still true. Many worn out cliches are still very, very much true. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. When you love someone, you show affection and you give compliments. You know, that's what worshiping the Lord is all about. Just like the seraphim's that stand, that surround the throne of God, and they cease not day and night crying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. David the psalmist said, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And many, many times the psalmist is bragging and complimenting on how merciful and how good and how kind and how gracious that God is. You know, I'm not talking about giving insincere, flattering words to the Lord, but He wants to hear us say it. He wants us to brag on Him and compliment upon Him because He's God. When you love someone, you're going to give compliments. Back years ago, and I don't mean to be picking on my wife here this morning, but years ago when I used to work for a living... (laughs) I mean, I'd go, when we first got married, I was working at Ingalls Warehouse, and I mean, I would be picking cases of groceries all day long. And in a warehouse that's not air-conditioned, you get all sweaty. And you know how it is, especially when you're younger, in your teens or your 20s. And, you know, when, when your feet are sweating all day long, and you've been working, and um, you come home, and you take your shoes off, I can't speak for everyone, but for most people, that's just not a good thing. My wife used to say, honey, I love you from your head to your ankles. (laughs) Thanks, I appreciate that. And I used to say, I just want to pay you a compliment. You're not ugly. When you love someone, you accept them. Acceptance is huge, folks. You know, human relationship, let me just throw this out there for free. We're all a piece of work. You know, and and if you're trying to just make someone that you love be like you want them to be, you're just being selfish and you're being arrogant. I'm not saying that we all don't need to improve and change. We all need to, but... What we're trying to change and improve is to be like Christ, not be like what somebody else expects us to be. You know, only you can be you. And at some point, if you want to have good relationships, you have to start accepting people the way that they are. It doesn't mean that you approve of everything about them, but you know, you can accept someone without approving of their actions or conduct or so forth. Acceptance is huge when you love someone, I would say that the word trust is connected to love. Now, I realize that love and trust in a relationship can get very complicated. I have known people that did not trust their children, but they still loved them. I have known husbands and wives that they loved their spouse, but they didn't really trust them. But to have real love, the type that uh, that does have some feeling and some emotion and some fulfillment, I would have to say this, that trust is a foundation upon which real love is built upon. You know, if you're not married, if you're single and you're young, let me tell you a secret about having a good marriage. Build it on trust. If you trust your spouse, you can get through a lot of difficulties and personality conflicts. You can get... Hey, look, charity shall cover the multitude of sins. You're not going to have charity unless there's this strong foundation of trust supporting that. Trust will get you through some rough times in life. That's why I believe that you young people, you ought to go to the marriage altar pure... And clean. You ought to be a virgin. You know, you don't hear that very often. It's, but it's still a word. Because trust, listen, if you, here's the thing. You say, well, I've never been with anybody except for my spouse. If you were with them before you married them, you know what? There's always going to be in the back of their mind that, you know what? You, you, you didn't keep the rules for me, how can I really have confidence that you value the rules? This is all this human nature. And, you know, there's no secret as to why there are so many failed relationships in today's culture. It it all stems with, if we don't love God the way that we ought to, we're not going to value His rules. And then the whole The whole mistrust and the hate just, it it, it all just snowballs from there. Number three, my last point here this morning. Loving God means loving what He loves and hating what He hates. I mean, you can, you can say, oh, I love God so much. And I've heard, I don't know how many times I've heard people Oh, I love God. I've been in church services where the singing's going on and people are like, oh, I love God, God, I love you so much. And it's all just a bunch of fluff and emotion and there's no substance to it. Because many of those same people that get all emotional or say it the loudest that they love God, their lifestyle demonstrates that they don't love the things that God loves and they don't hate the things that God hates. It's insincere. It's not real. Psalm 97, verse number 10 says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. There's some passion there. There's some... There's some zeal. There's some energy. There's not this just like, yeah, well, I love the Lord. No, you end up hating evil. And that's why I think that there's such a loss of a love for God. You know, you look around in Christianity today and think about all of the nonsensical things that Christians put up with. I mean, I, I see it time and time again. People go to a church and that church is completely disobeying the Word of God. Well, you know, I grew up in this church, and yeah, we have a woman preacher, but, you know, I don't agree with that. Then I think, well, why are you putting up with it? It's not right. Why are you wasting your time in church when there's a woman preacher, and the Word of God is so crystal clear about gender and ministry? You say, can can you even say that, pastor? Well, if it's clear cut and dry in the word of God, I'm going to say it. You say, well, I I've heard some women preachers and I like what they have to say. Great, but so what? It's not according to the Bible. You know, some of the same churches that are today having conflict between should we let homosexuals be pastors in our churches? Are the same ones that 30 years ago started letting women be pastors in their churches. And you think, see where the line, when you, when you violate a clear line that God draws, thinking that, well, the end justifies the means, or I just don't see it that way. Well, guess what? You're going to be fighting the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. The problem was with that love-hate relationship, the problem is if we love God, then we're going to love the things that He loves and we're going to hate the things that He hates. And I'm going to tell you what God loves. He loves the truth. And He hates evil. So well, I just don't understand some of His laws. He's God. He created us. What makes any of us think that we're smarter than our Creator? Amazing, amazing, amazing! How arrogant and selfish that people can be that think that we know better than the book. Have you ever seen someone that really loves his sports team? I know some of you. You, you love your sports team, and I'm not. I'm, I maybe won't even mention any sports teams. I might, I might not, but you all know what we're talking about. Some people, they. Really, really love their sports team. They wear their sports team's clothing. They put license plates on their cars. Hey, I've known people that painted their bedroom their, their school or their favorite team's colors. I mean, I've seen them shave their team logo in their head. And, and we've all seen crazy things that people do because they love their team memorabilia everywhere those same people they wouldn't dream of having the colors or memorabilia of a rival team i mean no way no how i i remember a couple of forklift drivers at ingle's warehouse years ago and back back in the 80s these uh you know everybody that worked in the warehouse with maybe just a couple of, there was a couple nerds that worked in there, but most of us were just rednecks. And and many of them, I mean, I'm from Idaho, and so there was a lot of things about NASCAR that I just didn't get. It, It was not part of the Idaho culture. We had cars, but we didn't have NASCARs. And so, you know, I'd seen it on TV, but it's like, okay... You know, sounds like fun. Now, I will say this. When we first moved here, there was a guy that moved up here for a short period of time from Virginia that worked for Penske Racing. He said, hey, why don't you and your son come and I'll give you a tour of Penske Racing. So we went and we looked at it. And while we were there, they started up, I think it was Kurt Busch's car back then. They started it up right nearby. And I'm like, whoa, I mean, it was powerful. It's like, yeah, I'm starting to get it a little bit. But they were passionate about NASCAR, those forklift drivers. And there was one guy that was a Dale Earnhardt fan and another forklift driver that was a Bill Elliott fan. And they were always going at it. I mean, I could tell when there was a race on Saturday because if I was working third uh, third shift on Sunday night, they would be on the intercom in the warehouse violating company policy and giving everybody a hard time who won and who lost. Bill Elliott and Ford, Dale Earnhardt and Chevy, and it was just always fussing. Well, back in the 80s, some of you, if you're a NASCAR fan, you remember that Bill Elliott had a, um, they had an accident in the pit crew. And some other race car came into pit row, and somehow or another, one of Bill Elliott's crew members got hit by that car and killed. And so, you know, that, that's a horrible thing. Well, this Dale Earnhardt fan, he, he decided that, I mean, he always would make these little caricatures, and he took, I don't know how much time this took him, it, it had to take him months and he took and he had like a, a piece of plywood about yay big and he made out of clay and painted it an exact i mean it was quality a replica of that race car hitting running over Dale Earn or excuse me Bill Elliott's pit crew member he brought it to work. He had it on his forklift, these stand-up forklifts, and he had it covered up. And as he was going through the aisles of the warehouse, and he came across the, his buddy that was the, Dale er, or the the Bill Elliott fan, he said, hey Bill, come here, i got to show you something. drove his forklift up there, and he uncovered that. And I wasn't there, but I heard about it from some guys that were there, and he just kind of looked at it. And then it started sinking in what it was. And he got mad and he went after the other guy and people had to pull them apart from one another. They were literally that angry at each other and that passionate about their driver or their team. You know what that shows? That we have love and we have hate in our heart. And the problem is, is we don't end up loving the things that God loves and hating the things that God hates. Listen, no team, no driver, no player, no athlete, no nothing is worthy of such passion. But God is. You know, God doesn't need any of us to take up for him. He's a pretty big God, but don't you think that it would honor him if we at least tried? If somebody blasphemes him. Somebody is evil and contrary to our God. Don't you think that, you know, God would say, you know, I I don't need that son, but I sure appreciate that you love me enough that you would hate that evil and be loyal to me. Psalm 139, verse number 21, David said, do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? Some passion, some love and hate. If you're going to love God, then we're going to have to love the things that he loves and hate the things that he hates. Proverbs eight thirteen. the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. How do I know if I really fear God? Well, there's going to be a hatred, I mean some real passion against evil things. It's not going to be like, oh yeah, whatever. Second Chronicles 19 in verse number 2, it says, Jehu the son of Hanani the seer went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. You know, Jehoshaphat was so much like the average Christian of the last 60 years in America. Jehoshaphat was a good king that feared God and loved God. And what did he do? He went and he made affinity with Ahab. Now, he never bowed down to Baal. He never did... Do anything to change his beliefs in God. But the problem was that he was being disloyal to God. He might have had pure motives. He could have thought, you know what? Hey, how are we going to help him if we don't, if we just stay away from him? Jehoshaphat might have had the attitude that, hey, maybe I can influence Ahab toward God. Maybe I can be a blessing to him. But the whole problem is, is that he is making affinity, he's becoming a friend of the ungodly, and he's displeasing the Lord. He ended up bringing wrath upon himself, dying an early death. Why? Because he did not truly hate the things that God hates. And so conclusion, this is a real simple conclusion, nothing complicated or complex about this message. Have you been faithful to the Lord? Have you been faithful? Fidelity, loyalty. Because James chapter 4 and verse number 4 says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Now, certainly... Certainly, marriage and intimacy type things, physical intimacy is associated with that. But really, the context, it's talking about spiritual adultery here. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Our love-hate relationship with God. We are commanded to love him. Love is a commitment and an action, not a feeling. And if we're truly going to love God, then we're going to have to love the things that he loves and hate the things that he hates. If you're a friend of the world and you love the things of this world more than you love God, God says you're an adulterer, an adulteress. You are unfaithful. You are just uh, the same equivalent as a husband or a wife that steps out on their wife with someone else outside of marriage. I don't know how you feel about the message here today, but just from my perspective, it just seems like this is some pretty serious stuff. But the problem is with our heart, and I want to encourage and challenge all of us to start loving the things that God loves You know, this book is filled with things. God loves sinners and wants to save them. We should be telling people about Jesus. God loves righteousness. God loves holiness. God loves a lot of things. But there's also some things that this book is crystal clear on that the Lord hates. And we need to quit being so lethargic and apathetic and lazy and complacent And we need to start hating the things that God hates if we fear Him and if we love Him. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us here this morning. Father, thank You for Your presence in the service today. Thank You for the truth of the Word of God. And Lord, I'll be the first to confess publicly that uh, I'm not where I ought to be. I don't love You like I ought to, and I don't hate evil like I ought to, but But Lord, I recognize it is true, and uh, Lord, I want to be where I ought to be. I want my heart to be pure and clean, and I want to be loyal to you and faithful to you, even, Lord, if it costs me friendships, even if it costs me relationships, even if it costs me uh, self-glory, if people would think evil of me because I'm choosing your side, then so be it, Father. And I pray for all of us here today. This day and age that we live in, we've lost that love-hate relationship. We've lost the fear of God. And I pray, God, that for each and every one that's under the sound of our voice today, Lord, that someone's heart would be touched and that love-hate relationship would be restored as it ought to be. Have your will and way. In Jesus' name, amen. Remain seated, heads bowed and eyes closed like to give you an opportunity to respond here today.